As you're being seated, go ahead and find your Bible. If you will open it up or turn it on to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. We are in this series where we've been working through the book of Ephesians. We tried to find a real creative title for this series, and we came up with the word Ephesians. I tell you, creativity abounds, does it not? In your worship guide every week, there is a sentence at the bottom of it that says, we exist. We exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. That is our engine statement. It's what drives us, and from it, we have identified several core values that help to shape who we are as a church. The first are both evangelistic in nature. We believe that people matter to God. It was God's love that drove him to send his son, and then his son lived a life that you and I could never live. His son died on the cross, making an atonement for our sins. He overcame death. Uh, He rose again, he ascended, and he is returning to restore the shalom of creation that was broken by sin. That was all driven by God's love for us, and because people matter to God, they should matter to us as well. Secondly, we believe that it is the gospel that has the power to transform a life. And so whenever I get up and, and preach and teach, I don't simply teach behavior modification. I don't teach self-help with a twist of Jesus. What I teach is the gospel because the target of the gospel is your heart. And ultimately what the scriptures teach is that we need something that changes from inside. And whenever our heart is transformed by God, then our behavior is transformed, our families are transformed, and ultimately our communities and world are transformed. Now, The next three deal with what we're trying to see happen in your life. We want you to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, and a disciple worships. What that means, it's more than just singing. What that means is that a disciple has a life in which God is at the center and your life is surrounding Him. In other words, your life and everything that you do is seeking to bring glory to God because you are worshiping Him, whether it's in your marriage, your job, your parenting, whatever it is, you're seeking to worship God. And as you become a worshiper, we also want you to take that second stage in spiritual growth, which is you are growing in your walk with God, you're growing in your knowledge of God. That is why we put such a focus on preaching and teaching the Word of God because we want you to grow and understand what God has said to us. So in my sermons, every sermon I begin with, turn in your Bibles. Uh, In your life groups, we open the Bible, because we want you to know what God has said. We don't just want you to know what God has said in His Word. We also want you to be living out those truths in relationship with others. You see, church is not a spectator sport. Churches to be a community, and so we hope that not only are you growing up in your walk with the Lord, but you're also growing together with other believers so that you have real friendships within this church body. If something happens in your family at 2 o'clock in the morning and you need a 2 a.m. friend, we pray that you have 2 a.m. friends right here in this church that you could call on that would be there to help you because you are going through life together. 
So as we become a worshiper, as we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we grow in relationships with others, what God is doing within us begins to overflow so that now it's exceeding the boundaries of our life, and that is our next value here, and that is serving. A disciple worships, a disciple grows, a disciple serves. And so we hope that there are things in your life that you are doing because you love God. You are trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you go with whomever you talk to. I like to say we are one church in 500 locations. Wherever you go, that's where the ministry of the church goes. And so every week, we have international mission trips taking place. Every week, we have community involvement taking place because wherever you go, the ministry of the church goes with you because we are disciples who are worshiping, growing, and serving. We believe that people matter to God, and because people matter to God, they should matter to us as well, and we believe that the gospel is what can transform the human heart. Now, as we look at our area in which we live, the Murphy, Wiley, Saxe, Richardson, Plano, Garland, Lucas, what did, what did I miss anybody's location? Huh? Parker? McKinney, wow, you you drove a long way, good job. You know, as we look at all these different areas where we live, one one of the values that we see within this community is family. People generally, not always, but generally move to the North Dallas suburbs because they're raising kids or they have grandparents because they have strong family values. And so as we were thinking about our engine as a church, our sixth core value was derived from our community, and that is that we want to equip families. We want to help families uh, be the people and be the family that God has called you to be. I believe that in this room, there is a mom, there is a grandmother who every day prays that your children will grow up and make wise decisions and listen to the Lord. I believe that there are dads in this room that struggle with being the angry guy, and you don't want to be that guy. You want to be a godly man, but you're struggling. I believe that there are couples that long to have your home be a happy home, and you're tired of it being a war zone. And I believe that there is a son or a daughter who really wants to get along with your parents, You're tired of the conflict. You're tired of the fighting. You really would like to get along with your parents. Our passage today gives us truth from God that I think can help us recapture our happy home. If you'll look with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And from these verses, I want to talk to you about three biblical truths that I think if you will follow them, they will help you in recapturing your happy home. And the first thought is this, children are to obey their parents. That's what verse 1 says. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Three parts to that. 
children. If you are still under your parents' care, if you're still under your parents' roof, then you qualify within this verse. The second part is that you are to obey your parents as you would the Lord. So ultimately, you're seeking to obey the Lord, and as you obey the Lord, you are following His command to obey your parents. And then the third part, because it is right. Someone asked my wife, Stacy, if she was going to, or what she was going to paint Camden's nursery in, because, you know, we have a newborn. Well, the first thing you notice whenever you have a fourth child is that you're not in nearly as big of a rush to get the nursery ready. I mean, because you realize they're not really going to live in there very quickly anyway, and so, uh, you know, you don't get nearly as big of a rush. But we were thinking about what would be a good theme for his nursery, and we thought about Noah's Ark, and we thought about sports, and ultimately we thought, I think Ephesians 6.1 would be a great theme for his nursery. We'll just write these verses all over the walls, children obey your parents, and we'll just make that the theme of his nursery. There is an epidemic in our culture today, and that is what I would call the kid CEO. It's the child that moves into the corner office of the home, and then the child or children run the house. They set the rules, they make the schedule, they own the remote control, they also control the emotional thermostat within the home. Whatever the children decide the mood of the house is going to be that day, that's what it's going to be because they're in charge of the thermostat. I was at a formal dinner a few months ago and I was sitting next to a lady by the name of Dr. Patricia Nason and she was, she's an expert in the area of child development and child education. And so she was talking about the Bible, and she said, there's only one commandment that God specifically gives to children on several occasions, and that is that children are to obey their parents. One simple commandment, obey your parents. Now, turning that around just a little bit towards the parents, why is it important for parents to teach their children obedience? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, it teaches your child how to obey God. The Bible says, obey your parents as you would the Lord. You see, a son learns to obey his father's voice in his youth so that he might obey his heavenly father's voice in his maturity. And when they are young in your home, whenever you teach obedience and you teach them to obey uh, the voice of mom and dad... It is modeling for them how they should obey the voice of the Heavenly Father whenever they grow up and they're out on their own. Secondly, whenever you teach obedience, it makes your children happier. There is this misnomer that the way to raise happy children is just to have this anything-goes parenting philosophy. I don't want to thwart him, so I'll just let him do whatever he wants to do and be whoever he wants to be and believe whatever he wants to believe, and I'll just kind of be his cheerleader, and I'll stand on the sidelines with my pom-poms and just cheer him on throughout life, and whatever decisions, wherever he goes, that, that's fine, fine with me. Anything goes parenting, though, does not produce gracious, happy, well-adjusted children. It produces brats. It produces brats who make themselves and everybody else around them miserable. 
because they become very self-indulgent. They begin seeing the world as a super buffet. And so they partake in anything that's out there because no one's ever put any boundaries on them. No one's ever put any restrictions on them. No one's ever said, don't do this and do this. And so all of life exists for them, and they turn into adults that have that same epidemic within their life. Thirdly, whenever you teach obedience, it puts your children on the road to success. It's, it's really cute whenever that two-year-old with blonde hair and blue eyes and a great smile looks at you and kind of smiles and shows you that dimple and says, no, I don't want to. You know, that's kind of cute sometimes. But it's not so cute whenever he's a third grader and he tells his teacher that. It's not so cute whenever he's a 23-year-old and he tells his boss, no, I don't want to show up on time. It's not cute at all whenever the officer pulls him over and he starts talking back to the officer and he finds himself on the way to jail. Life is always going to have boundaries. Life will always have authority structures. There will always be people in your life, no matter how old you are or how successful you become, There will always be people that you have to learn to work under their authority. And whenever you teach your children to obey their parents, you are setting them up for success because successful people realize that authority structures and boundaries, it is a part of life. And successful godly people even realize that God puts authority structures in your life for your well-being. Now, there's a second thought here. If you want to recapture your happy home, realize that happy homes have honor. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, as you're sitting by somebody here, let's talk about this. What does it mean to honor your father and mother. If you're sitting by someone, just spend a few moments discussing what do you think it means to honor your father and mother. If you're by yourself, spend this time taking inventory of your thoughts here. But just take a few moments. What does it mean to honor mom and dad? All right, well, what were some of the words that you guys are using? Someone share with me some of the words that you... you. Obedience over here. There you go. Anything else? Respect, honesty, loyalty, attitude. What was that? Action, humility. Right, all those words are words that convey to us honor. The word comes from the Hebrew language, and its root It means to take seriously, to hold in reverence our families, in our thoughts, and in our actions. And so whenever you think about mom and dad, whenever you think about family as a concept, you hold that in reverence in your thoughts and in your actions. In America, the American concept has often been whenever we grow up, we blame our families for all of our personality quirks. (laughs) And then after we get old enough, we move as far away from them so that we can live life however we want to live. And then whenever our parents get old, we forget about them. Not all the time. But you see that pattern frequently 
within our culture. Honoring your father and mother, it does assume a lot now. If you think about this, it, it assumes that you know your parents. It assumes that they're honorable people. Just because you're a mom or dad doesn't mean that you're an honorable person. It assumes that you care enough to honor them. Whenever I was a youth minister, I took my youth group to the Dawson McAllister Conference. How many of you ever went to a Dawson McAllister Conference? Anybody? I got a few. Okay. He used to be a big youth speaker. He'd come to Dallas-Fort Worth every year, and so thousands of us would go. And one year he spoke on the Ten Commandments, and so he covered this commandment. And this girl in my youth group comes up to me, and she's crying, and she says, Lash, how can I honor my mother? Well, I knew her story. Her story was that her mother abandoned her and her brother whenever she was just a baby. Her mom just left the family because her mom didn't want to have anything to do with the children. She just wanted to live her own life. So she was like, how do I honor my mother? Well, we have to realize that there are two, two sides to this equation here. On one side is the parent's responsibility. And parents have responsibilities when it comes to children. A parent has a responsibility to do everything in your power. If you're blessed with life within you, to give birth to that life. A parent has a responsibility if you are not going to extend the child towards adoption. You have a responsibility to care for that child. You have a responsibility to teach that child right and wrong in the ways of the Lord. You have a responsibility to make sure that you help them whenever they are young and they cannot help themselves. And you have a trans, uh, responsibility to teach them and train them to leave. That's a huge part of parenting, okay? Teaching them and training them to leave. You have responsibilities as a parent. And the child also has responsibilities. Whenever you are young and in their home, you have that responsibility to obey your parents. But this idea of honoring, it never goes away. We are to honor our parents for a lifetime. And so as I talked to this young lady, I was telling her, okay, yeah, what your mom did was wrong. It really hurts you. And no, you can't honor every action that she's ever done in her life because some of her actions are very dishonorable. But you can honor her as the avenue that God used to bring life to you. You can honor the fact that she chose to give life and chose to carry you in her womb and allow you to be born. You see, we can't control our parents, but we can control ourselves. And we can control how we react in the relationship that we have with our parents. And the Bible teaches us that we are to honor our father and mother. Now, it also says this is a command with a promise. Now, some people get hung up in Ephesians chapter 6 because it says it's the first command uh, with a promise. And they say, but hold on, it's the fifth commandment. No, well, it's the first of those ten commandments that carried with it a promise as well. In Exodus chapter 20, it carried with it the promise of longevity. You say, well, hold on, Lash, I know people that have honored their mom and dad, and yet they've died young in life. What exactly does that mean that you'll live longer if you honor your father and mother? Well, if moms and dads are honoring family and caring for their children and caring for life, and if children are honoring mom and dad and taking care of them and, and trying to help them, 
what's going to happen is there's going to be an increased lifespan within the community. You see, back in biblical days, people often dishonored the elderly, and when they were not able to take care of themselves, they would take them out in the elements and just let them die. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. They took care of you when you were young. You take care of them whenever they can't take care of themselves. Your children see you honoring your parents whenever you become aged. Your children see that example, and there is longevity as a result. The Bible also says in Deuteronomy that whenever we honor mom and dad, it brings stability. A nation will never be stronger than its families. And so when we have a reverence for family, it creates stability within the land. It creates stability within the nation. Here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, when it says, children, obey your parents, it says, because this is the right thing to do. Just bottom line, honoring your father and mother, honoring family, it's just the right thing to do. And then also in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, we see that whenever we honor family, it honors God. And one of the ways that we worship God is by honoring what he designed in the family. Now, there's a third thought. If you want to recapture your happy home, godly parents do not exasperate their children. Verse 4 speaks specifically to fathers, although I think it is applicable to both moms and dads. The Bible says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you the scariest thing about parenting to me. Uh, it's not living with a two-year-old, although that can be a rather, rather harrowing experience sometimes. It's not even the whole idea that, hey, Lash, you know, they're going to be teenagers soon. That's not, that, that's not even the scariest thing to me either. The scariest thing about parenting is that I will represent God to my children until they are old enough to understand God on their own. And what this means is that children are formulating their ideas of God based on what they see in you. And your kids carry with them these little cameras in their mind. And as they watch you treat your spouse, as they watch how you react, as they hear your tone of voice, as they see how you spend your time and what you value, they're continually taking these pictures in their mind. They're continually forming these images. Okay, this is my father. God says he's a father. Okay, this is what my father's like. Maybe that's what my heavenly father's like as well. And they build this photo album in their mind. There is a fine line between training and exasperating. I think that Paul specifically identifies the fathers here because uh, men, we we sometimes struggle in this area because we want to build discipline and we want to make our children strong, and that's not a bad thing, okay? Your, your, Your children need a dad, and your children need that masculine element. I think one of the travesties that we have within Uh, The family mindset in the United States is we're draining it of masculinity. Your children need masculine role models in their life, but there's a fine line between 
training and teaching them to uh, be tough enough for life and exasperating or angering your children. I don't watch a lot of TV these days, but the other day I was watching um, some educational TV and I came across Duck Dynasty, right? Uh, Duck Dynasty, you guys have seen it before. And so in this episode, Jeb, the youngest son, he had this new blender that was going to make him strong and and his children had broken his blender and gotten stuff all over the kitchen. So he and Jessica, his wife, were like, we have to punish the children here. What are we going to do? So they powwow, and they come back, and they say, okay, kids, we're going to take you to Uncle Si's house, and you're going to do chores for Uncle Si. So he marches the three girls and the little boy to Uncle Si's house, and Uncle Si's a Vietnam veteran, and he comes in there, and he says, okay, you privates, we're going to make concrete out of your pillowy personalities, and he gives them a toothbrush and makes them clean the, the bathroom, and then he, he, he gives them some uh, rakes and heart, starts having them rake leaves out front, and the whole time, Si is just being a military sergeant to them, and they've worked hard, and they've got all the leaves raked into piles, and then... Here comes Uncle Si with a leaf blower in his hand. And he, he's coming up to him. Hey, you guys missed some. And the leaves are blowing and stuff like that. And they're like, Si, turn off the leaf blower. He's like, can't hear you. I got the leaf blower on. Now, what was he doing? He was moving beyond the line of discipline into exasperation. He was taking things too far. In his desire, he was hoping to make them stronger, but he was taking them to a point that it was counterproductive. And you have to be very careful to walk that line between discipline and exasperation. You say, Lash, how am I going to know where the line is? You've got to be in touch with the Holy Spirit on this. Okay, you've got to spend time in prayer, and you've got to spend time walking with the Holy Spirit and being sensitive there, because whenever you see a behavior or an attitude or whatever it might be that needs correcting, you want to do so in a way that is productive and not destructive. What is the easiest way to discourage or stir up anger from your children? Be a hypocrite. That's the easiest way to do it. You can't expect your children to act responsibly when you act irresponsibly. But a lot of times what we want is we want verse 1. We want children obey your parents. But we don't want verse 4. Verse 4 says that as parents, we have responsibility to train them in the instruction of the Lord. So we want children who are respectful, yet we treat them disrespectfully. We want children who will listen to us, yet we never slow down to listen to them. We want children who care about others and get beyond themselves, yet when they hear us talk, we're constantly criticizing others and tearing them down. We want children to love God as number one in their life, yet when they look at our lives, it's obvious that He's number eight or nine on our priority list. If you want children to act responsibly, you have to be a parent who acts responsibly. When they are little, you can make them obey the rules because you control their source of goldfish. (laughs) You're bigger, you're stronger than they are. But eventually, if you keep feeding them and they keep sleeping, eventually they grow up. And at that point, their heart has to belong to God. And you've only got this short window, and you've got to have God do His work. The Holy Spirit has to do His work. 
You can't just make someone love God. But you have a short window to guide their heart towards God, to teach them about God and His love, and to model it. What is the reason that God brought that child into your life? That son or that daughter? That grandson? Granddaughter? Why did God bring that stepdaughter, stepson, nephew, niece? Why do you think the Lord brought them into your life? Do you think God looked down from heaven and said, you know what the world needs is one more great athlete? So I'm going to bless you with an athlete. And that's why I'm giving you this child. Maybe the Lord looked down from heaven and said, the top 10% at this high school is just not quite complete without this child, so I'm going to give you this child so that I can round out the top 10% and have one more great scholar. Nothing wrong with great athletes, nothing wrong with doing well academically, but I think there's more. Maybe God gave you that child so that you can show, up, show off how much control you have over other people's behavior. And God gave you that child so that you could dominate that child and smother it to such a degree that you can show just how strong you are. Or maybe God gave you that child because you just needed to have more fun. And so he gave you another sibling, even though you're 40. Perhaps he gave you that child so that you could overcome all the failures that you've had in your life. And all these areas where you were deficient and you didn't live up to your expectations, he gave you this child so that you could live vicariously through them and you could experience life all over again through them and correct all the wrongs. I don't think that's why God gave you that child, why he put that child in your life. Of all the people on planet earth, God chose you. He chose you to bring up that child in training and instruction in the Lord. If I were to come over to your house tonight and we were to sit around the dining room table and have a time of prayer and we were to pray for one another and pray for your family, what would your prayer be? Husband, what would you pray for your wife? Wife, what would you pray for your husband? Kids, what, what would you pray for your parents? Parents, what would you pray for your children? Grandparents, what would you pray? God put your family together. And it does not have to be a war zone. It takes work. It takes the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But your family can be a work of art. This is your family. These are your loved ones. God has put you together to go through life together, to love each other, to honor one another. It is part of your love story from God. So live it. Recapture that happy home. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. Heavenly Father, before we sing to you, we bow our heads in prayer to you, acknowledging 
that none of this works without your power. Father, our lives are so busy and the schedule is so full and sometimes we feel overwhelmed and we need power that comes from beyond us. We need wisdom that comes from beyond us. Lord, we need attitude and words that only you can bring. And so, Father, we trust you to do your work in our heart so that we might be changed. And Lord, I pray, I pray for that mom or dad that is tired of the anger, that is tired of the home always being such a fight. I pray, Lord, that you might bring into focus exactly what you've called them to be and to do to help them to know that they are dearly loved by you, chosen by you, and capable through your power of being the greatest mom and dad to that child. And I pray, Father, for those that are under their parents' roof that are in this room today. I pray, Lord, that you might give them wisdom and the ability to obey their parents' voice so that as they grow and mature, that they might also learn to obey your voice in their lives. I pray for each of us that we will honor family, honor our mother and father, and that we might recognize that family is not an accident, but it is your plan. And so may we honor it as we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.